Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about One Good Bid Deserves a Murder, Season 2, Episode 17, first aired February 23rd, 1986. And the IMDb summary reads, Jessica finds herself in a tough spot when one of the auctioneers of a diary is murdered and she has to rely on Harry McGraw to help her out. So this is one of my faves, surprise, surprise, because it has the one, the only Harry McGraw alongside our own Jessica Fletcher. How can we go wrong? We can't. So (laughs) let's go into the returners then the rest of the cast, and then finally, and most importantly, into the story. So we have three returners. The first one is Herd Hatfield, and we will remember him as Leo Peterson from Death Takes a Curtain Call. So he was the uncle of one of the Russian or Soviet Union dancers who were trying to defect. In this episode, he plays William Redford. And we have two returners from Tough Guys Don't Die. Of course, Jerry Orbach as Harry McGraw. And I'm so excited we get to see him a few more times as Harry McGraw. And we have Nancy Lee Grain. And we will remember her as Erin Carey. And in this episode, she will be playing Sheila Saxon. Now, here's the rest of the cast. We have Dr. Sylvia Dunn, Lieutenant Casey, Albert Cromwell, Richard Bennett, Robert Rhine, Sal Domino, and Deborah Chase. So let's get into it. So we open in what appears to be a hotel, but I actually think it may be an airport lounge. And we have Richard Bennett, and he's signing an autograph for a fan. He is clearly a well-known actor. Yes. And we see Jessica come in looking for Mr. Bennett. He tells Jessica that he has his flight to Barcelona leaving in 20 minutes, but he called her because he's aware that Evangeline's diary is to be auctioned off Saturday at 5 p.m., And he wants Jessica to bid for him in his place because he would cause too much attention if he made it known that he was bidding on the diary and it may go to a price that he was unable to pay, which I doubt, but (laughs) he didn't want to pay more for it than he absolutely had to. So he gives Jessica a $1 million check and he says if it costs more than I've authorized my bank to send the additional funds to you. He also gives Jessica a letter that he received from Evangeline and so that she could use it as a sample of her handwriting to authenticate the diary. Because no one's paying a million plus for a forgery, okay? He's smarter than that. But the final thing he tells her is that once she gets it, to destroy it. 
He does not want to see it. He does not need to read it. He does not need a copy of it. He said, immediately destroy it. So I'm wondering what it says about him in there. Mm, Interesting. So the next scene, we're in a lawyer's office and we meet Robert Ryan, who's on the phone with a client perhaps. And he kind of rushes them off the phone because there's another phone ringing. A phone that's actually housed in his desk in a drawer. I'm like, but there has to be a hole in the back because it has to be connected to the wall. So how secret is that phone? (laughs) Anyway, so it is someone we find out later. It's probably Ambassador Jonathan Damon. But the person, we'll just say the ambassador, is telling him that he has to get that diary. And Ryan says, well, Redford won't deal. Now, Redford is the auction house owner. And he won't deal because Sal Domino has a stake in this and Bennett has also expressed interest in it. So he doesn't know what he can do. He can't get it on the sly before the auction. And the ambassador is like, I don't care what you have to do or how much it costs, get that diary. So we'll find out why he wants it. But long story short, he was having a relationship with Evangeline. Now, she was single. Apparently, he was single. But it's a scandal because he wants to take a run for the White House. So he wants to become president. But if he's tied up with Evangeline having a relationship with her, even though they're both consenting adults, she had some drug and alcohol problems. She's a starlet. Um, She is, I guess, seen as a wild child. So he can't be associated with that in his straight-laced political aspirations. So that's what his problem is is that he's sure that she's written about their relationship. Spoiler, she did extensively. (laughs) So the next scene, we're at the auction house and Jessica meets William Redford, or Radford, sorry. And he asked if Jessica knew Evangeline. And she said, I've only met her twice, casually in passing, but I'm actually here on behalf of Richard Bennett. Now, Redford tells us that he was very close with Evangeline, so this is very difficult for him. He then says upon finding out that Bennett is not coming, that he's upset because he notified the press that Bennett would be there. So I guess now he has to call them and tell them he's not. But you know what? It's a different level of news for Jessica to be there um, bidding on it on his behalf as opposed to Richard Bennett actually being there because he has been connected to Evangeline only as friends, but I don't know if in the public it was romantic, but in actuality, they were just friends. It wasn't anything uh, sexual in their relationship. So the next scene, we are in the office portion of the auction house. And Jessica is attempting to authenticate the diary. So Radford is getting the diary out of his safe. 
And, <laughs> okay, so then Bert, who is the handyman, security guard? No, I think he's handyman or all around, just man on the ground. He comes in holding <laughs> Dr. Dunn like, she tried to bribe me. She offered me $5,000 if I could get her the diary. And <laughs> Radford is like, uh, what? Dr. Dunn, like, what are you even doing? How beneath you? Clearly it's not beneath her, but okay. She's a psychiatrist. She's like, I have powerful enemies and, you know, I need that book and people are trying to destroy me. And, <laughs> and Radford is like, yeah, you can just, you know, bid on it. That's terrible though. She's clearly going through it for whatever reason. She seems like she has a guilty conscience and is concerned that whatever is in the book, being the diary, whatever's in the diary is really going to characterize her in a negative light. And that coming from someone as famous as Evangeline could destroy her practice, right? So yeah, there's reason to be concerned. And when we get a bit more information about what's written in there about her, it'll make things clearer for why she's desperate to get her hands on this diary before anyone else does and can publish it. Radford then hands the diary over to Jessica because she has the letter and she wants to authenticate it. That's why they came back there. So Jessica's comparing the pages in the diary to the letter. And she's like, oh, okay, it does look like the same handwriting. And Dr. Dunn is quickly flipping through pages, at which point Redford grabs it out of Jessica's hands. And he says that, um, you know, it's for authentication. It's not for speed reading. And so Dr. Dunn was like, well, how do I know I want to bid on it if I don't know what's in it? And at this point, he's like, uh -huh, you're in it. So mm -hmm. yes, goodbye. So <laughs> Jessica was asking also, like, who was the owner? Because that really makes a difference. And Radford is like, yeah, I'm not going to reveal that. That is private information. And Jessica's like, yeah, I don't think that the courts would agree with you, especially if the rumors are true that someone stole the diary from her bedroom the night of her death. So then it's stolen property and whoever was in possession of it can be charged with either if there's enough evidence with the theft, but what's easier to prove is the possession of stolen property. So yeah owner would have a real problem. So the next scene, we are at Sal Domino's house, I believe. And Sheila Saxon is trying to pitch him a deal. She wants to do a picture about Evangeline. She claims that they were close and that they were like sisters. And she's the one who made Evangeline a star. And she doesn't want someone to, I guess, soil her reputation, her meaning Evangeline's reputation. She wants to put a story out about the real Evangeline, you know, the one behind the glitz and glamour and makeup and drugs and alcohol. And so she is doing the most and not a single tear 
wells up in the side of her eye or falls down. Okay, she's doing the most and Sal reads her like a book. He says, when they start handing out Oscars for the best supporting performance by a hustler, you've got my vote. Honestly, that's a mess because that is hilarious. Okay, <laughs> He's like, you couldn't even spare tears for this whole to do. Like, come on now. You wouldn't win because you didn't actually cry, but you would have been nominated for sure. <laughs> anyway, Sal's like, get to the point. What are you offering? And she says, okay, listen, Sal, you buy the diary. I'll go in half to buy the rights to the film. And I'll give you 5% of the merchandising. And he's like, uh, no, get out of my house. So <laughs> he doesn't say that exactly, but that was the tone of it. So the next scene, we're at the auction house and we have Jessica Burt, who was the handyman all around guy and Radford. And Jessica is looking at an antique chess set. Well, first she's looking at an armoire and Bert says, no, that's not for sale this auction. So as she's walking around, she sees an antique chess set. And at this point, Radford walks up to her and asks her, well, do you want it? I'll give it to you. And she's like, no, I couldn't do that. He's like, it's mine. It, it's fine. I was, you can have it. And she's like, I wouldn't feel right about that. And you know what? Bravo. Because she could have been like, thank you. Wrap this up. Got it for free. But She's like, no, that's not right. It doesn't matter if it's the auctioneer's own property. The fact is, he was going to auction it off. So he says, all right, fine. I was going to market $300. So she's like, I will write you a check for $300 and we can consider it sold. And he's like, oh, okay, great. You know, perfect. So he's like, I'll have it wrapped up for you. He then walks over to the armoire and he takes off the blue tag. Now the blue tag means that it's not going to be auctioned that day, but he took it off because now he had an open slot that he needed to fill with an item. So that became the armoire. We're at the auction portion of the day and they're bidding on something. And then the next item is a 19th century armoire that was just added this morning due to numerous requests. So he gave those who, the auctioneer that is, gave the option for those who were interested to take a look and inspect it before they started taking bids. So there were two men who went up to look at it there and it's beautiful. It is, it's large, it's very large, but it is beautiful. It is definitely well-crafted. And one of them, well, actually, no, two, each take a door and open it. And inside, standing straight up, is Bennett, who is dead, falls face first out of the armoire. Everyone's screaming. This is traumatic, actually. Let's not lie. So, now everyone's shocked because everyone thought that he was out of the country. And two, 
how long was he going to be in that armoire? Like he was just there and they're just like sitting feet away from it and he's dead inside. Like that traumatic. Anyway, so we now are still in the auction house and the police are there. And Lieutenant Casey is speaking with Radford, who is like, I can't believe you closed us down. Like, sir, there was a murder here. Like, let's be absolutely honest. There was a murder here. Okay, it's not like Macy's, which if you close that down, they're losing like hundreds of thousands of dollars in that store. But if somebody was murdered in Macy's, they're shutting that place down. So your auction house, which you can just like, hey, everybody come back tomorrow once crime scene is out of here, you can still do it. (laughs) Sir. Anyway, so (laughs) Lieutenant Casey's like, yeah, so a mega superstar actor was found murdered in a piece of furniture here. So yeah, it's kind of important that we shut this place down and do a full investigation. This is the one and only thing that I will say applaud Lieutenant Casey for. He's not intimidated by Radford or I'm sure his status or anything like that. But also notice that Lieutenant Casey is wearing a three-piece suit. Okay, he is one of... Now, okay, he got a bad toupee though. Like, I don't know what's going on with his hair. I don't mean to judge, but I'm like, dude, if you're going to have on this well-cut three-piece suit out here, then I'm going to need you to have your hair under control. Either let it go or comb it the right way. (laughs) Anyway, so Lieutenant Casey then makes his way over to Jessica and he's like, so I'm told that you were a last minute bidder and that you were here because Bennett was going to Spain. And Jessica says, yes, I don't know why he was still in the States. I don't know why he was murdered. So I don't know what to tell you. She says, five days ago, he gave me this check. He, she pulls out the check and shows it to Lieutenant Casey and she said that that was for her to purchase the diary on. And so Lieutenant Casey's like, but wait a second, this is written to you. She's like, uh, yes, of course it's written to me. And he's like, well, you know, what makes me know that you were going to use it for this? And she's like, because I'm not a thief. Like, I don't know. I don't know if you know me or not. Clearly you didn't do your research. I'm not out here stealing million million dollar checks from uh what a-list actors no okay I'm an important person and that's why I know Richard Bennett for one two he trusted me enough to give me this check and ask me to bid on this very personal diary and he also trusted me to destroy it and to not exploit my possession of it once I got it So yeah, Lieutenant Casey, I'm going to need you to use some context clues here. But on behalf of Jessica, like my question is two, I actually have two. One, this was five days ago that you got this check. Why didn't you deposit it? Now she says that she was going to sign it over clearly to the auction house. And we'll get back to that in a second. 
And two, where were they that his flight to Spain was leaving? Leaving, not boarding, leaving in 20 minutes. Where was he? It kind of looked like a hotel, but even if it was the lounge, like he didn't have a suitcase with him, like no carry-on situation. He didn't look like he was in a rush. I, where was the gate? I'm like, she should have been suspicious at that point. But I think when she came in and the Cabot Cove bus was running late and, you know, she was kind of not really thinking this out, how strange this was that he's talking about like that someone from his office can have given her the check and he could have put a letter in it that said what he needed her to do. I don't know. She should have been suspicious then. But going back to her signing over the check, now, my question is, how was she going to do that? Because what if the diary was sold? What if she won the auction and it was only $250,000? Now, one, I'm not going to sign over a million dollar check to somebody and expect them to return $750,000 to me. And two, in the alternative, I don't know any company, corporation, person, entity, being that is going to accept a $1 million check for a $250,000 purchase or anything less than $1 million. Even back then when people would write a check for more so that they could get cash back, but that's too much. That is three quarters of a million dollars. And no person in their right mind, no company would approve that. So I I don't know what she expected. I don't know why she didn't deposit the check. Probably would have cleared, because not for nothing, she probably has enough to cover it in her actual bank account. Let's be real. She's been at this for a while. She's famous. And so... <laughs> I don't understand why she wouldn't have deposited it by five days after the day of the actual auction. One, it would have cleared. Two, if it hadn't, by the time she wrote the check and they cashed it, meaning wrote a check off of her account for the less than million dollar amount and gave it to the auction house and they deposited it, By the time it got to their bank, it would have cleared, that million dollars would have cleared hers. I'm confused. That that didn't make sense to me. Um, No, I didn't think she was going to steal it because she has no need to do that. And she's too famous a person to do it. That's the thing. Like, she's not a nobody. The way Lieutenant Casey is talking to her is as if she could get away with this. She's Jessica Fletcher. (laughs) People know her. She can't be out here stealing. No. Anyway, my feelings on this scene is that I don't like Lieutenant Casey's attitude or his toupee. So there's that. As they're speaking, and Jessica's like, I can't believe that you would think that I was going to run off with some A-list star's million dollar check when I am not equally famous, but definitely known and recognized. Redford comes up to them And he says that the diary's missing. Someone broke into his safe. And so Lieutenant Casey was like, what is going on here? When was the last time you saw it? 
And he said the last time he saw it was when Mrs. Fletcher was examining it. And so everyone's looking at her. She was like, you can't think that I would. And the fact is, how could she have taken it? Okay, let's let's think about this for just one second. He snatched the book from her because Dr. Dunn was trying to speed read it. You took it back. It was in your possession. And Dr. Dunn can confirm that. It was in your possession last. And if you're saying that someone broke into your safe, that means that the diary was in your safe. How was it in your safe if Jessica had already pocketed it? And then finally, you could just check her purse. Like, <laughs> it wasn't that big. So I doubt if it could have fit the diary. Where would she have put it? She has not gone anywhere. That's why I'm like, you got some nerd to be looking at her crazy like that when you were the last one who had it. The last time you saw it was when you were snatching it out of Jessica's hands to hide it from Dr. Dunn and then placing it back in your safe and closing your safe. That's why that's the last place it was in your safe, not in Jessica's handbag. The nerve. Anyway, so the next scene, we are at the police precinct, Boston PD. And (laughs) we open this scene with a voiceover of a desk sergeant telling Harry that one of the officers found him unconscious and beaten up in an alley. And we then are inside and we see the desk sergeant trying to not laugh in Harry's face, but also kind of examining his black eye. And Harry is jacked up. Like he is, I can't believe he's on his feet. But that is one thing. That man can take a punch. He really, (laughs) that's terrible. That's terrible. I'm like, you need to fight better. You need to fight better, Harry. Not the face. That's the thing. Not the face. So he sees a woman in the distance and he's like, who is that? And the desk sergeant says, oh, that's some dame who um, made, I don't know if he said killed somebody, however he put it. Uh, Yeah, Jessica Fletcher. And so he's trying to close one eye so he can focus the other eye. He's like, Jessica? And so he goes over, she's sitting at Lieutenant Casey's desk. And he is like, Jessica, what are you doing here? Blah, blah, blah. And talks crazy to Lieutenant Casey, who actually deserves it. So I'm not mad about that. And and Jessica's like, your eye hasn't changed much in two years. (laughs) And Lieutenant Casey's like, you know him? She's like, yes, we solved a murder together two years ago. And so now we have a bit of a timeline. So tough guys don't die was two years ago from this. And Harry's like to Lieutenant Casey, this lady here, and I mean lady, is a very famous author and a good friend. So like cut your crap, okay? How dare you have her in here as a suspect? And so... (laughs) 
Harry's like, you know what? From this moment on, she's my client. Okay. I don't, what's going on? What's going on? Don't talk to him. And typically I would have my back up about this because Jessica's well able to handle herself. Those of you who are on Patreon know how I feel about this after martinis and mayhem. But I will give Harry a pass because he's Harry McGraw and because he's Jerry Orbach. So mm, there's that. Sorry, I give him the benefit of the doubt in this situation. And the thing is that Jessica and him teaming up, he doesn't overstep his bounds. Now he does some stuff that I don't like and we're going to get to that in like two minutes. But he typically, once he realized that she was an asset to him and that she wasn't trying to overstep into the private eye business and his job, that they get along very well. And I think he's very respectful of her. Um, I like him so much better than, um, what's the guy's name? Grant something. We'll meet him later on. I don't like him. I don't trust him. And I don't know how him and Jessica are friends. But Harry McGraw is the much better version of a private eye that's a tad bit shady. But Jessica trusts and um, likes working with. So the next scene, we're at Jessica's hotel. They walk into her room and it is ransacked. Okay, so they kind of put it back together. Jessica is on the phone with Lieutenant Casey. And when I say they, I mean Jessica and Harry. And she's like, nothing is missing. And, um, but she thought it was important to report it. Yes. Yes, it's important to report that because that makes it less likely that you're the murderer. Helpful. And, or the one who stole the diary. So there's that. Clearly people think she's the one who stole the diary because they ransacked her hotel room. But that also doesn't make sense because if the auction was that same day, she went immediately to the police precinct. So when were people put on notice? Because she still had the chess set that had been wrapped up for her. So this is all the same day in a set amount of hours. So who went to her room looking for it if she hadn't been back to her hotel? Like, she couldn't have stolen it and ran back to her hotel and then came back to the auction house. People don't be thinking. Anyway, so as they're sitting there, Jessica tells Harry, like, you know, I'm looking at this chess set and it's a Spanish chess set from Spain. And back during the Spanish Inquisition, many people had chess boards that had secret compartments so that they could hide their valuables when whoever busted in their house and tried to steal everything from them. So she remembered, of course, because she's Jessica, what you had to press simultaneously on the board for a drawer to pop out. A drawer pops out and what do you know? It is Evangeline's missing diary. So Jessica immediately starts to read it, but I'm like, dude, you're supposed to destroy it that you got it. And then you're supposed to just pretend like you never found it and it'll just remain missing. And you can just tell Richard Bennett, like, dude, it was hidden. I found it and I destroyed it. 
But she didn't. So I'm like, side eye, Jessica. Side eye. So she starts reading it and Harry's like, oh, juicy stuff. Like, what's in there? Read it to me. And she's like, um, excuse me. No, I'm reading this out of simple curiosity to find, I don't know, possible suspects. <laughs> so Harry's like, uh, yeah, so I'm getting hungry. So Jessica's like, oh, you know what? I could use a sandwich and a pot of tea. That would be great. So next thing you know, she is knocked out with the book on her lap. Harry grabs it and takes it off and leaves. The next morning, she is fully alert, eating her dry toast, right? Remember, dry toast and tea. (laughs) From keep the home fries burning. (laughs) Seth was like, I know what you had for breakfast. Dry toast and a cup of tea. (laughs) That's exactly what she's having in this hotel. And you know she spent way too much on it because it's room service. That's neither here nor there. But (laughs) so clearly Harry slipped her a Mickey and she knocked out. She didn't even realize it because she's like, I can't believe I fell asleep reading this. It's, It's very interesting. So she does reveal what's in it. A a bit of an overview. She says there's several love affairs dictated in here. And she says some unpleasant things about Sal Domino, Sheila Saxon, and Dr. Dunn. And there's also a mysterious person named Al. She never names him other than Al. Like, so there's no last name for him. And it seems like the day before she died, He caused a scene at her home and Richard Bennett had to throw him out. So Harry's like, oh, so they were still together at that point. And Jessica says, no, only as friends. According to the way he's portrayed in the diary, they're only friends. No um, romance between them. However, in the diary, we find out that she is, is in fact, romantically involved with Ambassador Jonathan Damon. And so this is when we find out that Ambassador Damon wants to run for the White House. So there's no way that this information could get out that he had a romantic relationship with the likes of Evangeline. But Harry says, well, Ambassador Damon was definitely not there you know, bidding on the diary or prepared to bid on the diary. And Jessica says, well, there was a Robert Ryan there, an attorney who refused to tell the police who he was there representing. And Harry was like, oh, well, no, Robert Ryan and Ambassador Damon are super close. Like they're really, really good friends. So he was probably there on the ambassador's behalf. So Jessica's like, listen, I think we need to go see um, Mr. Radford and both of us, meaning Jessica and Radford, can take the diary to the police. That's the best course of action. Harry's not on board with this, but he's like, "Mm, listen, you're going to do what you're going to do, whatever. Side note, because he has a copy of it. So, (laughs) And how do we know that? This scene here. So the next scene, we're at a hotel bar. And it's Harry and Robert Ryan. And Harry's like, listen, I can sell you a copy of the diary for $100,000. And so Robert Ryan is like, why would I pay for a copy? What's that going to do 
for me when the real one's still out there. And Harry's like, uh, well, if your boss wants to know what's written in there about him, he would be interested in getting a copy. Listen, I'll give you time to think about it, but if not, I'm going right over to Sal Domino, okay? Listen, I know who wants this. Okay, have a good day. (laughs) So the next scene, we're back at the auction house and Jessica is there with the diary to speak with Redford and have him accompany her to the police. So she's calling, calling. Now the place is unlocked, completely unlocked. She goes into the back and she sees that Radford is dead. He was stabbed in the chest and he's laid out on the ground bleeding. As she's like literally standing there in shock, Lieutenant Casey comes into the what unlocked back door and sees Jessica standing over the body with the stolen diary in one hand, her purse in the other hand, (laughs) and Radford dead on the ground. Now, of course, he then takes her into the precinct, but why would she kill him, for one? But two, she didn't have any blood on her. There would have been blood on that beautiful camel coat or her equally lovely outfit if she stabbed that man in the chest. I'm just saying. Anyway, she doesn't have to stay at the precinct long because Lieutenant Casey does not believe that she actually killed Radford. But he says that if he finds her near another dead body, he's going to book her. He was like, if murder was a disease, you'd be contagious. I think that was the line. And that is so true. So true. (laughs) Okay. If you're not, no, you're not even safe if you're a friend of hers. Oh my goodness. She's dangerous. Anyway, so she leaves the precinct and Harry pulls up in his car as she's trying to hail a taxi and Jessica hops in and she says the killer must not have believed the diary was stolen and went back to the auction house and tried to force Redford or I I keep saying Radford and Redford it's the same person just go with it um to tell them where it is so that basically he was threatened and then when he did not give up the information he was murdered so the next scene we are at Bert's apartment they knock on the door now I noticed there's no peephole on his door so I'm like you just opening how are you supposed to know who's on the other side people could say anything he didn't even ask who it was he just flung the door open not all the way and that's important but he like kind of stood in the gap like, hey, what's up? Who are you? What you doing? Hey, how can I help you? So he's like, yeah, I can give you a few minutes. I'm actually going to the laundry room. He picks up his bag of laundry, which looked like a very small load of clothes. Maybe it was his underclothes and that's why. <laughs> okay. And they go down to the laundry room. So Harry comes in hot. He's like, why didn't you take the money? How do we know that she even approached you and you didn't approach her? And Bert was like, listen, I just told you what happened. Uh, Dr. Dunn was ready to pay me. She had the cash in her purse. I saw it. It was still wrapped in the Remington Federal Bank 
paper their labels. So Jessica's taking a nicer tone and bringing it down a bit. Like, you know, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that, is it possible that you saw or heard something or someone? And Bert was like, no, the police also asked me that. And no, there wasn't anything that I saw or heard. So they're like, all right, thank you for your time. If you remember anything, here's our contact information. And they leave. They walk out and Harry sees that his hubcaps were stolen in the time that they spent speaking with Bert. So that sucks. But Jessica points out that Remington Federal Bank is in Los Angeles. Only Jessica would just know this information off top. Because there was no Google in 1986. She didn't have a smartphone. This is something she just knew. And this meant, since it was a bank in LA that she got the cash out of, and then flew over to Boston, Massachusetts, that the bribery had to be premeditated. The next scene, we are back at Jessica's hotel, and she is seeing if there are any messages for her. Now, there was a goof that was pointed out in the IMDb uh, page. And she first asked for room 812 and their messages. And then later on in the episode, same episode, she asked for the messages for room 810. So yeah, I, I did notice that as well. But right now she's asking about 812. And so... She's getting ready to go up to her room and she sees Dr. Dunn. And she's like, oh my goodness, Dr. Dunn. Like, I was just about to see if I could track you down. And so she's like, is there someplace private we can speak? Jessica's like, yeah, my room. And she's like, is it bugged? (laughs) Jessica's like, not that I know of. Okay, girl, you real paranoid. And she is. So Dr. Dunn tells Jessica that a copy of the diary is being shopped around and that she heard it from a friend of a friend of a friend who heard it from Robert Ryan. Um, And the fact is Dr. Dunn needs her own therapist. Like she, maybe she needs to be medicated or maybe she does not need to be medicated. You know what I mean? Like she's self-prescribing and she shouldn't be because she is very paranoid. And I don't know, I don't think I would feel comfortable at all if my analyst, psychologist, therapist, psychiatrist was this anxious just like in regular life like I understand we all have problems but I'm like oh my goodness if you're not getting help for yours how are you going to help me you don't you wouldn't help yourself you would go to a professional like I would be concerned I'd be very concerned because this is not good anyway Dr. Dunn is concerned that the diary will make it seem that she was basically a drug dealer. And in that, she tends to prescribe drugs for her clients she believes need them, right? She didn't say what type of drugs, but she must be a psychiatrist because psychiatrists um, go to medical school and they can prescribe medication as opposed to a psychologist, which who is not licensed to prescribe medication. So she is a psychiatrist. And she's like, yeah, sometimes to get through the dark times, people need to be prescribed drugs. 
So people are looking at me crazy because that's what I tend to do with my patients who need it. And Jessica's like, yeah, or to keep them tied to you. Because that was the tone that Evangeline took, was that the only reason Dr. Dunn was prescribing her, you know, narcotics, I'm guessing, whatever drugs, she became addicted to them and therefore became reliant on Dr. Dunn. She had to go to her. She had to continue that relationship in order to get the prescription drugs that Dr. Dunn had prescribed her. So yeah, I would be concerned as well, Dr. Dunn, because it's one thing to have rumors going around. It's another thing to have this diary of one of your patients revealing how they felt and perhaps even how what they expressed to you about their concern about being prescribed this medication uh, continuously. And that was ignored, I'm guessing. Or she went to rehab and got cleaned up. It's unclear where she was at when she actually passed away. So the next scene, we're at the precinct with Jessica and Lieutenant Casey. Jessica wants another look at the diary. They go into the evidence room. It is in a second secure locker. So the evidence room door is locked. And then in a locker that is secured with a lock uh, is the diary. Jessica goes looking through it and she's like, um, there are pages missing between October 17th and October 20th, which was the day of her death. And Lieutenant Casey's like, what are you talking about? Like, um, the only people who had access to it were my people and Judge Parker. He was in the precinct earlier today reviewing the evidence, right? And so Jessica's like, well, who would the judge be willing to do this for? And they come to the conclusion that it was probably Ambassador Damon. And they are also very close. So he would do that for him. But as a side note, in what world, okay, in what world is a sitting judge who is over a prosecution? Actually, no, 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 no. Let me take that back. There is no prosecution because no one has been arrested. In what world can a judge go and observe in a police evidence locker any evidence? It is not the judge's evidence. It's the prosecution's evidence. And unless they're saying that Judge Parker is actually the district attorney who was previously a judge and is now a district attorney and they just call him that because they're so used to, he was a judge for many years or whatever. But unless that's true, this is impossible. Like it... There's no, you break the chain of custody, right? Because how is the judge going to testify in front of himself if there's an issue as to that piece of evidence, which there clearly will be now because there are pages missing? Like, I don't understand how he even got access to that. He's not law enforcement and it appears that he is a sitting judge and not a prosecutor. So even 
And not even a defense attorney could go into the evidence locker and observe this unsupervised. For one, no one's been arrested. So there is no defense attorney attached to it. Even if there was someone arrested, the defense attorney could request the evidence. The evidence would then be brought by a member of law enforcement to probably a conference room. And they would be able to review the evidence in its original form in the view of police so that there's no break in the chain of custody. Like, meaning there is a documentation of each and every person who had possession of it from the time it became evidence to the time that it is now at trial. So that blew my mind. I'm like, so this judge was just allowed to review evidence unattended and you're considering it that it's the judge's own evidence? I'm like, "Mm, unless I miss them saying that he was a prosecutor, uh, that's not true. And even as the prosecutor, they shouldn't be going in there reviewing evidence by themselves either. Again, they would be accompanied by a law enforcement officer who would document the opening of the package, everyone initials, they would review it, it would be returned to the package, resealed, reinitialed. And again, a prosecutor wouldn't do that because because they would have to testify because the book is missing pages, pages that were there when Jessica handed over the diary to the police department. This is wrong on so many different levels, but we're moving forward. So the next scene, we have Harry and Sheila. They just came from seeing some movie. And Sheila is trying to get something from Harry. So she's like, listen, I think my next film is going to focus on a real life PI. Have you ever thought of a movie about your life and Harry's like what do you want and she's like um I don't know just that copy of Evangeline's diary and Harry's like what makes you think I have it she's like let's not play games we know you have it and Harry's like why do you want it you want to know if it says anything about the fact that everyone knows that you worked Evangeline like a plow horse and robbed her blind and so (laughs) So she goes off, you know, she drops the facade and she's like, you too, bitch, you know, just whatever. And Harry is like, I never hit a dame a day in my life, but you're begging to be number one. Now, listen, I don't know how I feel about this. I feel some type of way about this, but I don't know exactly what that is. Anyway, so the next scene we are... In Jessica's hotel room, Harry is breaking in. He is attempting to get the copy of the diary that he has left in hidden in Jessica's room. Of course, Jessica found it. And there's a discussion about it. And he's like, listen, I would have told you everything if you had less scruples. <laughs> it's like... I knew I couldn't tell you the truth because then you go to the police and you mess up my situation. But he's like, listen, I had good intentions. I was trying to smoke out the killer. I wasn't going to actually sell it. Pshaw, pshaw. 
<laughs> and Jessica's like, yeah, I don't believe you. But anyway, um, it turns out that it's a good thing that you copied the diary because there are pages missing. So the next scene, Jessica is in the lobby of her building and she asks for the messages for room 810, right? Not 812, 810. And there's a message for her. It's from Sal Domino. And he's asking her to meet him at his place at 8 p.m. for information. And as she is, um, I guess, getting ready to walk out of the lobby, uh, Robert Ryan comes up to her and he has a gun that's covered by his trench coat. And he basically kidnaps her. Let's be honest, he kidnaps her. And he gets her outside to his car and she's like, what if I refuse to get in? And he's like, I, I'm at the end of my rope. Like, I'll have to kill you, whatever, whatever. So Harry, who saw them walking out and came out a back door or a side door, comes out of nowhere and punches Ryan in the face. And so knocks him out. And Jessica's like, ooh, is your hand okay? And Harry's like, if I know anything, I know how to punch somebody. Next scene, the hospital. He has broken his hand. <laughs> and apparently he had previously broken his nose, which is, has healed nicely and apparently straighter than before. And the black eye is starting to clear up again. He may have also been punched more recently after starting to work with Jessica. <laughs> anyway, so... Jessica's like, listen, we need to focus on identifying who Al is because the entries regarding him were full of fear. Like that was the emotion that um, came to mind in reading about him. And at first, Jessica thought he was a crazed fan, but now she's like, no, Evangeline had to know him personally. So we have to find out who that person is. So the next scene... Jessica is at Sal Domino's and we see his secretary, Deborah, who is clearly more than just the secretary, but she's very young, but she's more than a secretary. And she tells Jessica that her mother was the president of the Richard Bennett fan club and that they had a photo of him, I guess, framed on their piano like he was a member of the family. I'm sorry, that's creepy, but we're moving forward. And <laughs> Deborah says the day of the auction um, that Bennett actually was there. She saw him come to Sal's house and they argued loudly, but she couldn't make out what they were saying and that she believes that Sal was involved in the theft of the diary. And she doesn't know how to feel about this because she grew up with Richard Bennett being considered a member of the family, even though no one had ever met him. And well, now she has, right? Now she, I wonder if she got her mom to meet him. Hopefully she was able to set that up. But she has some loyalty to him, which is really random as, she probably didn't meet him until she was an adult, but his photo was on her piano as, a, as with other family members. But she was an employee and is an employee of Sal's and perhaps his girlfriend 
to be honest. But she thought it was important to tell Jessica and knowing that Jessica will take that information and do with it what she will and get to the bottom of this. So Jessica then goes in to speak with Sal and he admits that he is the true owner of the diary and that he was trying to also purchase the copy because this, you know, just drums up publicity. And once he has that uh, blood in the water, right, he would then publish the real diary. So Jessica was like, well, this is also to cover up for how you actually got the diary, right? Because remember, the theory was that it was stolen from her bedroom the night that she died. And that's never followed up on. We don't know if in fact Sal Domino stole it from her bedroom. I don't know. He could have had Deborah steal it. You know, was it the murderer who stole it and then they stole it from the murderer? That is never cleared up. He says that the argument with Bennett was because Bennett found out about the publicity stunt and he tried to buy it from Sal directly, but Sal refused. And so... Jessica's like, so I'm sure you have a copy of it. And he's like, yes, but the original has to be released by the police for me to have any benefit from having been the true owner of the original because there's no way to authenticate it until the original is returned to me. And Jessica then asks, well, who's Al? And Sal says he doesn't, but he wish he knew who it was. Now, the next scene, we are back at the precinct and Jessica reveals to Lieutenant Casey that Sal is the true owner of the diary. And Lieutenant Casey's like, how am I going to explain this to the commissioner? My thing is, how are you supposed to know? Like, honestly, I don't think that Redford would have even told you if you asked him and demanded as the, you know, lieutenant of the police department how he got his hands on the diary and who the true owner was. So I don't know. We're assuming that Radford knew that Sal Domino was the true owner. But the fact is, by the time Lieutenant Casey got an opportunity to speak with Radford, he had been murdered. So Radford was the only one who could have told him who the actual owner of the diary was, but the primary case was the murder of Richard Bennett. So I don't know. I think he's overreacting, but if the commissioner was mad about that, then he's stupid. So anyway, and Harry's like, if it wasn't for Jessica doing all of this work, you'd have nothing. He then says, remind me never to be murdered in Boston. So then Lieutenant Casey picks up the phone And he's like, Sergeant, I want to, you know, blah, blah, blah. He wants to have Harry's PI license revoked. And we find out that Harry's real name is Harlan A. McGraw. And Harry's like, Harlan, Harry, Harrison, what's the difference? And of course, Jessica has an epiphany. But before we get into the final closing out of the murders plural. If you watch this again, look at this scene. 
Lieutenant Casey picks up his desk phone and does not hit a single button. Okay, so I'm like, is it, do you know how phones work? Because you got to press something like an a, a intercom, a, a link, a zero for the operator, something. You can't just pick up the phone and start talking to an actual person. That when the phone hasn't rung, obviously if it rang, then there's someone on the other line, but he just picked up a silent phone off of his desk, the receiver, and was just like, started talking to some fictitious sergeant. Now, I don't know if he was doing this for, to make a show of this. Clearly he wasn't actually doing this, but I'm like, you didn't even press a button. Like who was supposed to believe that you were doing anything? Anyway, I thought that was ridiculous and hilarious, both at the same time. So now the reveal. We are at Bert's apartment. Jessica, Harry, and Lieutenant Casey are there. Lieutenant Casey was able to get an arrest warrant. So that means that they can knock on the door. And if he doesn't answer, they can go into the apartment now, I doubt if that covers Harry and Jessica, but we're going with this because in the Murder, She Wrote universe, this is okay. So Harry then proceeds to pick the lock, which Lieutenant Casey's like, I did not see any of this. I'm like, all right, now you definitely can't try to get his license revoked after this incident, okay? <laughs> so they walk in and there is a shrine to Evangeline. And they're like, wow, this is too much. This is upsetting and disturbing. And um, what do we do with this? So at this moment, Bert comes in to find the three of them in his apartment. He's like, what are you doing here? And get out. And, you know, you have no right to see this or to be here. And Jessica's like, Bert, Albert, Al. I'm sure a lot of people call you that, including Evangeline. We read her diary. And at this point, Bert is taken to the precinct. Now, I don't know, because I didn't think to look, but I didn't know, notice until this scene that the name on his overalls or coveralls says Albert. Now, I could have sworn that it said Bert, but maybe I was mistaken in the earlier scenes. Um, maybe they were hiding that portion. Maybe he has a set that says Bert, and that's the ones that we saw. Um, I'll have to watch it again. Or when I watch it again, I'll have to stop and take notice to see if it said Albert the entire time. So now we get to the confession. Bert says that he was going to steal the diary, but Bennett came in and recognized him for when, from when he had to throw Bert out of Evangeline's house. That was the day before she died. So at that point, Bert had to kill Bennett because if the diary came up missing, Bennett would know that it was Bert uh, who stole it. So he couldn't take that chance. And because he thought that the armoire was not being sold that day, he put Bennett's body in there, assuming that it wouldn't be found for at least a couple of days or maybe weeks. We don't know. 
but it would not be found in front of tens of people during an auction. Now, he also said that he knew Radford had faked the theft of the diary. And so he tried to, that being Bert, tried to scare Redford into revealing where the diary was. But Redford was not scared of him. And he actually came at Bert, who then grabbed a knife off the wall and stabbed Redford, allegedly in self-defense. And so Jessica's like, well, why did you want the diary so bad? And he says that he wanted the diary so Evangeline could rest in peace. He reveals that they dated before she became famous. And then when her career started to take off, she dumped him because she had to be seen with all the right people, which he was not the right people. He said that he always loved her and he hated to see her name dragged through the mud. And that's why he believes she turned to drugs. And so he had to help her. He had to put her out of that misery. And he says that he did it because he loved her. So now we not only find out that Bert is the one who killed Bennett, he is the one who killed Radford, and that Evangeline did not take her own life, she was actually murdered by Bert as well. So that was a plot twist of all plot twists. You admitted to a murder that you weren't even accused of. Now, before we close this episode out with the last scene, I don't know if she actually dated Bert right? He could be lying about that. He could have imagined that. And that's why that whole obsessed fan situation seems a lot more plausible because you saw those pictures on the wall and he had to be escorted, well, literally thrown out of her house. And every interaction that they had in that was noted in her diary were scary and fearful events. So it doesn't seem like an ex-boyfriend who she's just like, listen, I have to do this for fame, but we can still be friends. Because like, I could see that happening. Like, okay, you know, or we're, we're in a relationship on the low because you're the person I actually love. But for all of the TV audience and the movie audience in Hollywood, I need to be seen with who's who and what's what, right? But it seems like maybe he was an obsessed fan and not an old boyfriend, or they dated for like two seconds back in high school and he's just like, never let her go. I don't know. It is very unclear to me whether they were actually in a relationship and he is an unreliable narrator. So I truly believe that he killed her, Radford and Bennett. There's no reason to lie about that. There's no benefit to lying about that. But there is a benefit 
to lying about this loving relationship that you had before she became famous. And it's like ex-lover. And now that's who you're identified as. And for the rest of Memoriam, you're going to be her ex-boyfriend when it's possible that you never were. Like that's, that's all he needs really is to be for the world to believe that he was in a relationship with Evangeline when he never was. So that's something to think about. They don't clear that up. I don't know if they thought that someone would. (laughs) Of course, I got to think all deep into this. But yeah, I, I don't I don't know. But I'm leaning towards he was an obsessive fan who may have known her when she was younger or before she became famous. But I am very skeptical about whether they were actually in a relationship as lovers or more likely he was her stalker. Sad to say. But let's wrap this up. Okay, so the last scene, we are at Jessica's hotel in her room and she's there with Harry She gets off the phone and says that, you know, Sal Domino did not legally own the diary because it was stolen property. It actually belongs to Evangeline's estate. And the estate has given her permission to destroy the diary like Bennett had wanted. So, you know, she then throws the original diary into the fire She takes Harry's copy. He's like, I promise the only copy. I can't believe you're throwing away a million dollar book there. And she's like, you'll feel better. Like she throws it in. He's like, oh my gosh, I don't feel better. You're crazy. And that's how it ends. They're laughing together. The diary is burning. But that's not the end, right? Because Sal has a copy of it, right? So once it's revealed that Sal Domino was in possession of the diary, the real diary, he can come out and say, I have this copy of the diary and publish it. So he doesn't even have to have retained, meaning regained possession from the police after this investigation it's going to be in the paper that Sal Domino was in possession of it and was the one who was the owner who put it up for auction. So he can just walk right up out there and say, hey, I did and I made a copy at that time and publish it. So that's not the end of it because that's Harry's copy is not the only copy in existence. So... That's a bit of a loophole for you, but it's murder, she wrote. So that happens. It never comes back around again. So it's not uh, going to tie in to a future episode. So I guess they could just leave it out there like that. Or again, they did not expect someone (laughs) to remember that Sal has a copy from when he possessed the actual diary. So anyway, that's that on that. I truly enjoyed this episode. Um, Jessica and Harry make an amazing team. Angela Lansbury and Jerry Orbach are two of my favorite actors. So this was truly a pleasure. I liked that 
there was a plot twist that nobody saw coming, but that made perfect sense. Okay. It was so like well done in the sense that this person murdering these two people, the two men that we saw who were murdered made sense and him killing Evangeline made sense too. So this was, this was good. You didn't see it coming, but it wasn't so outrageous that it's like, that didn't make any sense. Like, why are we, who is this person? (laughs) So yeah, there's probably a few people. I think the surprise of who it was, was also well done because the fact is it could have been Dr. Dunn for the same reasons. Well, not she, I don't think she would have killed Evangeline though because she was worth more to Dr. Dunn alive than dead. Um, Radford didn't have a reason to kill Evangeline or Bennett. Who else would have had a motive? Like no one else really had a motive. Sal Domino had no reason to kill Evangeline. Um, Sheila Saxon, she was she definitely didn't have a reason to kill Evangeline because she was making so much money working her to the bone. Um, yeah, I don't think any of the suspects that would have could have reasonably killed Bennett and Radford in an attempt to get the diary and keep it from public view, or in Sal's case, publish it and in Sheila's case, publish it. But none of them would have had a reason to kill Evangeline except Bert. So I think that was well done. He was hiding in plain sight and it just all fell together very well. So yeah, two thumbs up for this episode for everything that I mentioned, okay? So anyway, next week, we will be talking about if a body meet a body. So it's <laughs> it's an interesting episode. I am looking forward to reviewing it for you guys. So I'll put it that way. But before that, you can always go on to the Fletcher Files pod on Patreon. I have a lot of great content over there. I just put up Martinis and Mayhem, the fifth book of the Murder, She Wrote book series. So sign up over there to get that as well as a number of movie reviews, as well as the previous four Murder, She Wrote book series books. Otherwise, I will see you back here next Sunday at 5 p.m. Anywhere you listen to podcasts for if a body meet a body. Until then, have an amazing week. Bye.